Hey everybody, how's it going? How are you, Chris? I don't know if a Chris is listening right now, but hopefully there is. And if you are, I want to know how you're doing. Please let me know. At any rate, welcome back to another episode of Random Encounter. We're into 168, and I've just got a whole bunch of uh, review headlines to throw at you, so buckle up. Uh, the first of which comes from Alana Heggs, who was lucky enough to get her hands on Collection of Mana, and she overall gave the thing such a great positive score, and says this is the collection as it you know should be remembered and I agree got it myself and I love it and go check out what she has to say about the whole collection how it's all put together on the heels of that review comes Bob Richardson's review of Bloodstained Ritual the night the Kickstarter darling that is doing pretty well Mike Slosey talks about it on this episode so you can listen in to see what he has to say and go check out Bob Richardson's review for a little more full-fledged details on the entire uh, game as he saw it Bob also reviewed Layers of Fear 2 an adventure game that has really stunning visuals and sound work that basically pulls you into the dark greediness of the whole thing but you know has some other issues that leave some things to be desired but otherwise he seems overall positive on it uh, a few episodes back i spoke very highly of Druidstone, the secret of the men here forest and my review went live for it uh, not too long ago as well and i just i don't know i really like it and go check out my review to find out why i like it <laughs> Atlanta's also been busy with Dragon Quest Builders 2, another game that I'm actually really excited about and really looking forward to getting into myself. Um, has a lot of the charm and the wonder that the first one had with some nice improvements. It suffers a bit on combat, but otherwise she seems highly positive on it. Check out the review for more on that one if the whole building thing is your thing and you like Dragon Quest. Next we come to my review of Citizens of Space. Oh, Citizens of Space. Just want to love you. Just want to enjoy a good, wholesome, traditional RPG that takes place in space with wacky characters. Why couldn't you give me that? <laughs> Moving on. Super Neptunia RPG. Remember when Nathan spoke about that on the last episode? Go check out his review. Overall, not so hot, but maybe you'll find something in there that you love. Lastly, Pete Leavitt got into Fasolet. I think that's how you say it. I don't know. A really awesome Neo Geo Pocket retro RPG that he dug up and did a cool retro review for us. He gave it an editor's choice, so it must be a solid thing and worth picking up a Neo Geo Pocket for, or somewhere where you can find it. I'm not sure how. But if you can, it seems like a really rad little game. Check it out. And that's it. That's our pile of reviews for you to go get caught up on. Of course, all the E3 coverage is now up and running. I think we've finally got it all done. So if you want to see our complete RPG coverage of E3 2019, go check out that whole feature. And in the meantime, enjoy this next episode of Random Encounter. Hello everybody, welcome back for another episode of Random Encounter. We're up to 168 miles behind Retro Encounter, but uh, we're still going strong. 
Starting it off, I'm Greg Delmage, at Greg Delmage, pretty much anywhere on the internet, at GDelmy on Discord. I'm hosting with some awesome folks. We got Caitlin Argyros finally back on the podcast with me. Hey, it's been a while, but I'm happy to be back. Uh, you can find me at Leon Cazarel pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Discord, whatevs. I'm grateful we were able to pry you away from uh, raiding and the like in uh, the recent uh, release of Shadowbringers. Yes, but the, I have but the so raids much are, to say. The raids aren't out yet, though. Well, oh, are they not? Yeah, the ex- nope. yeah. I'm sure you're doing something on the reg to get they're, stuff. They're the extreme know. primals, which, I don't know, depending on your definition of raid, is a raid, but... There are things, but officially no raids yet. Yeah. And that's Mike Solosi. You all know that guy. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you doing, Greg? Um, well. I am Mike Solosi. I'm at The Real Monsoon on Twitter, some variation of Monsoon or Mike on various places on the internet. And yeah, we we just posted Retro Encounter number 196, so you have some catching up to do. (laughs) So you're all good to record again tomorrow, right? Uh, not tomorrow, a couple days, but it's (laughs) it's never ending. Uh, And finally, we've got Joe Zop, who is newer to the site over the past few months and uh, wanted to come on board, and I'm always happy to have more voices, so here's Joe, everybody. Hey, Greg, thanks. Yeah, glad to be on the cast. Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm back to RPG Fan after a couple-year hiatus. and uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was writing back in, like, 2013, but glad that the site has expanded a lot and um, glad to be a part of this. Yeah, having help to, to write things is always welcome. And I guess, yeah, you haven't been on the podcast in the past either when you were around, eh? No, I never was. Well, let's, uh, you know, be grateful to have you now. And get into some talking about video games. Joe, you've been playing something that was, I guess, reviewed a while back. And lately you haven't been doing as many RPGs. But uh, you were in a Persona Q2, which last episode Nathan spoke a bit about. But didn't get uh, too in-depth with since he hadn't yet beat it. So, yeah, what kind of thoughts have you had in an extension to your review? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody, if you read my review, um, great positive reviews. I think it's pretty rare that, you know, any poor persona games are going to get turned out in terms of just general design quality the music was awesome and they had a lot of it i mean it was very persona e music but if you like that like i do then you'll definitely like it the only thing i kind of grappled with during the review was basically like would somebody who hasn't played a ton of persona games really like this um i mean it was a quality game uh, as you know, the Persona Q series is kind of like the Persona version of Etrian Odyssey. Yeah, it's a bit of a spin-off. Yeah, it's a spin-off. And this one, you know, Persona Q, the first one, was uh, characters from 3 and 4. This brought in 5, and 5 was clearly the focus a little bit, um, which makes sense because it's one that a lot of people are probably being introduced to the series via Persona 5, and it's been very well-received. Yeah, that's what Nathan was saying, and it just makes sense to kind of keep that ball rolling yeah. for them right now. I just thought it was kind of curious. I mean, Persona 3, pretty old at this point. I think it came out in, geez, what, like 2006, maybe? I don't have it off the top of my head. Persona 4, you know, also aging. I would just be interested to know, and maybe there's other series like this. You know, is this really kind of going to appeal to a large audience? Just because a lot of the story, so to speak, the main plot was pretty straightforward compared to the main series games. And a lot of the story benefits that I enjoyed were really from knowing all these characters and watching them interact from you know uh, the different games altogether, so I, it was a little bit curious and it made me kind of have some doubts during the review i mean it's still a quality game i would recommend but certainly a, a conundrum <laughs> well for someone like myself i guess is who you're speaking to like i've never picked up a persona game yet uh as we discussed on that episode of retro encounter persona one's not the one to do it on 
But I've heard great stuff about 3 and 4 and even 5, despite some of the shortcomings it's had. And yeah, I guess that's the big question is, even though I, I really like the Etrian Odyssey style of gameplay, would I get as much out of it not being as familiar with these characters? Is there enough dropped into the game from each of these games that familiarizes you with them? Or do you are you required to have the pre-knowledge of it i don't think it's a requirement but i think it's uh i think it's important because these are sort of watered down versions of each of these characters and it's a large cast i think you're getting between eight and ten characters from each game there's probably around 30 playable characters and the story is you know enjoyable on its own and uh and, and uh, you'll probably enjoy the dungeons and the mechanics of it more than the story if you're not familiar with Persona, because it, it sort of drops you into the middle of the cast. You, you, you're not meeting characters one by one. It's that you start as the nine playable characters of Persona 5 right from minute one. Right. Oh, crazy. And not only are you thrown in the middle of the action, like basically each of the characters, each of the groups of characters, the cast from 3, 4, and 5, are each kind of like ripped from the middle of their games. Like none of them have reached the resolution yeah. of their games, essentially. So this isn't like a... I'll give you that it's not like a post-game thing that, oh, you need to know the full events of Persona 5 or any of these other games yeah. in order to understand what happened to these characters. But, okay, so it's a bit in meteor res. Yeah, right. it is. It's in um, it, it, in Persona Five terms. It takes place when you're about to brave dungeon number six, I think, because of because uh, that that's the first one where the entire cast is available and the uh, a certain character hasn't left your party yet. And and uh, also the first Persona Q was was similar. It um it ripped the cast of three and four from specific points in the game when the when the monsoon happens in Persona Three, and during the uh, school festival in Persona Four, I think. Which is weird because those games take take place in I think like oh seven and oh nine or something, but yeah. yeah. So it is sort of in media rest where the three casts get transported from other dimensions and work together to solve a mystery where they're dropped into dungeons. But it's oh, it, it, it it's fun, but I I don't think I think that you'll enjoy those characters less if you haven't played a Persona game before because it 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 assumes at least some familiarity with these characters. Okay, gotcha. So. I would really have to, yeah, want to be into it for the gameplay and just hope I get enough, but all right. So it would definitely benefit people to be into it beforehand. I'd be interested to know how long, I guess we'll see as the years go by, like how long they're going to be able to kind of leverage Personas 3 and 4, which obviously I love them, but you have like, you know, the dancing in the dancing game, what was it, uh, Starlight and Moonlight? And, Star uh, Night and Moon Knight. Oh, sorry, Night, thank you. Light. You know. Yet another kind of thing where, even though, yeah, that's a rhythm game, one of the draws is if you're familiar with those games and characters, you know, let's put them in this situation now. Um, kind of an interesting thing. Well, Persona 4 had a bunch of extra games come out in between 4 and 5. I think uh, the two fighting games, the Persona 4 dancing game, and Persona Q, among among others. So I, I think that Sega Atlas is, in, is interested in leveraging these characters over multiple games. This is only the beginning of the Persona 5 crossover stuff. I I am I guarantee you that we're getting we're getting a lot more Persona 5 beyond Royal and Persona 5s. The uh, the, the, the Koei Tecmo um, <laughs> right. Russo game. But like we are going to get a lot of Persona over the next few years, and th I, be, I think they're going to be living in Persona 5 mostly for that. But, I mean, Persona 3 and 4 are very popular still, even if they're more than a decade old. Uh, and I don't think it's out of the question for them to, you know, release a remake before too long. So uh, I, I don't think they're... Uh, right now, they're focusing on Persona 5. They're justified in doing so. It's It was hugely popular. But... Persona 3 and 4 aren't going away. I just, I just, there, there will be a Persona 5 arena before a Persona 4 arena dash 3. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you think they'll ever cross over with Persona 1 or 2? Extremely unlikely. Um, I, I will not say no, but I uh, I would bet against it. At the very least, at, or I would say maybe at the most, they could give them like a character, but from what you've said, it doesn't sound worth going back to in any way, shape, or form. Uh, they really haven't, though. Like if, if they were going to go back to Persona 1 or 2, I thought that might happen in one of those four spinoffs. It sort of hasn't. Um, you you can like you hear Persona One character descriptions if you look on the if you ter- if you turn on the TV in Persona Three, and I think they mentioned some place names and uh, and like company names from Persona One and Two in the later games. But uh, yeah, especially since especially since they had different directors and writing teams, uh, Persona Three, Four, Five lives separately from One and Two, which is yeah, which is too bad because the the Persona Two duology is good. Uh, well, in addition to those thoughts, was there anything else that you feel was kind of I guess missing being addressed in your review. Do you are you super satisfied? Have you gone back to it since I guess since you reviewed it? Go through another playthrough. Is there much replay value yeah, to it? Yeah, there is. Uh, not as much, at least as far as I can tell, as much extra content as I would have liked. But I guess um, there's a bunch of side quests you can do, which I had sort of for expediting through the review and getting through the main game, I had sort of skipped a few of them. Uh, you can go back. There's some extra battles, which again they're cool if you're a Persona fan and you like you know the Velvet Room attendants and. Um, the interactions between them uh, that you can do, but there's not too too much other than that, as far as I know. Now, uh, Persona Q1, uh, which which I played and really liked, was uh, five big dungeons and about maybe 45 to 50 hours. Is is Persona Q2 similar in length and scope? Yes, it is, it is very similar. Um, I'm trying to think one, two, three, four. I think there's actually one ex- one more dungeon, so there's six total dungeons. Yeah, I think that's what Nathan. Oh, is that I what he mean, said? You said five. I thought there was I five in five Persona and Q. I wasn't sure. One. Yeah. In, in in Persona Q1, there's a, it's definitely five. Yeah, I think it's it's six in Q2, and uh, so oh, okay, cool. it was a little, which is good because you have more time to play with all these characters. Because one of the challenges with the game was there's so many characters that it's great if you can uh, that you can customize your party. So like I really like Igis, so you know as soon as I got her, I put her in my party. But there's so many that I felt like I ignored half the characters in the game, unfortunately. Oh yeah, mm, I um, yeah. Uh, by the second dungeon in Q1, I basically settled on my five for the rest of the game because because it would yeah. it's I mean not detrimental exactly, but it's a it's a much larger time investment to try and level up people evenly or or to switch characters now, when they're when they're five ten levels behind. In one, did they have in here? They have an item you get relatively frequently, probably enough for to use all the characters like a growth incense item i don't remember if they had it in q1 where you could instantly level a character to the wild card level Hmm. i don't think so maybe it was something you could buy in a new game plus but i uh and i only played like the first dungeon in new New game plus yeah but i don't don't remember no i don't Mm -hmm. remember that in q1 but i but i did play it like I don't know, four years ago, Same. so it's been yeah. a minute. Yeah, I mean, they try in Q2, and I think it's pretty clever to have a system that would make you want to try other characters. They have, like, a when you go to the dungeons, they're like, you know, somebody might come out and be like, I guess might come out and say, I'm feeling really good today, you know, put me in the party. And they have, like, a boosted critical rate and a few other things. But eventually, the level disadvantage doesn't even overcome that. And, Mike, you only dabbled a bit with Q2, because I remember way back when it was announced, you were saying you were going to dive into it. How far have you I'm only partway through the first dungeon. I've been very very distracted by other games in June and July. Uh, I, I will get to it later this year. Uh, I just have games to play in my backlog and for the podcast, and uh, and Final Fantasy XIV is never-ending. <laughs> Which we will shortly get to. And, Caitlin, as a Persona fan yourself, I th- if I'm not mistaken... You've gone through oh, yeah. five. Yeah, are you? have you been in the, the Q series? or uh, I've played the first, and uh, I think I was in the second dungeon when I dropped it because of other games taking 
more of my my attention. So I keep meaning to go back to it because I really did like what I played, um, especially the music, which was amazing. Is it a big change up from like the music? No, it's is it just rehashing it or is it remixing? It's mostly it original, original. I would say there's it's one original. or two it's, tracks that remixes in Q2, I think. And it, it and it has uh, four composers, or at least the first one did. So it's a it was a really diverse set list, including one guest track from Yuzo Koshiro, freaking legend. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really liked also, which they also did in Q1, is like, you know, you have the three, four, and five, even though there, there's a lot of, there's some differences, you know, in the musical style, and you can hear it come through in their battle themes, and you can kind of customize which ones you want to hear. I just let it rotate through all of them. Oh, you can choose Yeah, now? there's, unlike in Q1, where you had to pick your path at the beginning, I think, you had to pick like a P3 path or a P4 path. And this one, it's really mm-hmm. focused on the P5 characters, kind of like the main guy, and then you accumulate the other characters. That was good. That was the worst thing for me about Q1 is having the battle theme be locked to whichever protagonist I chose to play as. Right. Cuz I like I like both of them, but I wanted to play as um I wanted to play as the P4 protagonist, but I like P3's version of the battle theme a lot better than P4's. I was kind of like Ugh. Why? Why can't I choose? Yeah. I remember really liking the track uh, Laser Beam, I think it's called, from P3. I love yeah, that. Yes. That's, yeah, that's the... Uh, yeah. Well, no, no, it's not It's not from P3. It's from... It's, P3, uh, P3, Laser Q. Beam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, the, uh, it's the FOE boss battle theme. And it, but it, but it's a very good, it's a very cool track. And the final boss battle themes are like some of the best oh, yeah. persona it's, boss it's super, themes. It's super good. And the, the, I really, really like the opening song in PQ1. That was a, that's, that's a really... Uh, dope yeah, one. but the but, but, yeah, but the, the music yeah. presentation was very very strong in P, in PQ one, and I've only heard a little bit of PQ two, but it's uh, I I think it's Kita Joe that did it, uh, the guy who does you know he's one of Maguro's lieutenants over there at <laughs> the Atlas Sound team. It's it, what I heard has been really good. Yeah, I I would say it's on par, if not even. I mean, it's made a little more variety because you got you know the three different styles there. And the only thing I will mention, this has probably been mentioned widely before. Another cool thing about Persona Q two is you know they brought in the persona 3 portable female protagonist into it so they've really got like every character yes, in here yes. now um awesome so it's it's pretty neat and now one thing actually i don't remember nathan speaking much about in how it is uh similar to etrian odyssey do you also draw out your own maps and everything similarly to that one or is it just more the the presentation it's, of the dungeon it's very thing? similar um a lot of the map is auto filled for you so it's not like etrian odyssey one where you have to draw every single line almost it's but uh you, you do the, the map will naturally fill out and you have to draw things like walls and passages and uh it's it, there's a lot of map making and map drawing in the persona q games i mean i dig that yeah the only thing is i only played a little bit etrian odyssey so you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong um that like i felt like at least in one which was was the one I played. There was more emphasis on like resource gathering of some kind, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, the, yeah. Which um, isn't really it, in Persona Q much. Like you have some yeah, things the, you sell, but it, it, yeah, the resource gathering and and like mining and farming is something that's in Etrian Odyssey, but not in uh, Persona Q. With Persona Q, the dungeon, it's it, it's much more about navigating the dungeon and maybe collecting some items from enemies. But Etrian Odyssey, like you were also doing resource gathering and things in dungeons that is way, way toned down in Persona Q. The Persona Q games are definitely about the dungeon navigation and the characters and the extremely silly storyline, but not as fully featured as like the dungeon runs and the dungeon town in a, in an Etrian right. game. The only ones that played at length were one and four. And I hated the first one and really liked four. Did you do millennium girl or just the original, uh, the first? original, the original first on DS. Okay. I only played the demo myself and I really was into it. The problem was it came at a time where I was like, I know this will be a time investment and I just 
wasn't able to justify paying for something I knew I wasn't going to get to anytime soon. How many times have we run into that, am I right? Look at that Steam library. <laughs> at any rate, I don't know, it sounds worth getting into, I guess, whether you're a Persona fan or not, but you're going to get the most out of it if you're a Persona yeah, fan. Yeah, I mean, that I would seems... say you can you can pivot from Persona 5 into Persona Q2. You'll know a lot of the characters you have at the beginning, and I'm thinking maybe this could be something that would turn people on to the older games, like they see these characters and want to learn more about them and play 3 and 4, get their hands on them. Um, I would hope, because they're all good. And actually, uh, it bears asking, I, would you... Had you only played 3 and 4, still get just as much out of having the old cast? Or will you be completely into Dark because for the longest time you were just stuck with the No, you're cast? really you're introduced to the characters in relatively short order, especially from 4, if I remember correctly. And since you have the option, I believe you can just switch out the entire cast. If you're like, I only like P3, once you get those characters, you can just basically forget about the other people. <laughs> oh, that's great. So you can definitely key into your particular fandom. I, sure. I can't actually remember if you're allowed to switch out the P5 protagonist, because I never tried it since he was always like my highest level guy. I, I want to say you can, um, but I'd need to check. Mm, you, you couldn't switch out your main character in PQ1. And, I, and like you, I haven't tried to switch out the Persona 5 protagonist in my playthrough of this. You definitely can customize at least 80% of your party, maybe 100%. <laughs> so yeah, there might be something there for everybody then if they're coming into it, whether they were coming from P5 or 3 or 4 previous. Well, that's cool. Speaking of, uh, you know, all this Persona stuff and how Slosi hasn't had time for it, what have you been making time for? I guess probably first on the priority list is Trials of Mana. Yeah, we've yeah. both been playing a bunch of that, so I'll let you take the lead. Go for sure. it. Sure. Uh, this game is a 1995 Super Famicom game called Seiken Densetsu 3. It's a sequel to Secret of Mana, which in Japanese is Seiken Densetsu 2. And it never came out uh, worldwide. It stayed in Japan for decades. But on the first day of E3 in early June, they, uh, in the Nintendo Direct, they announced that the collection of Mana, which is Seiken Nintetsu 1, 2, and 3, Final Fantasy Adventure, Secret of Mana, and now Trials of Mana, were getting, was being officially localized and it was available for download later that day. Something like a few, a few hours after, uh, after the Nintendo Direct. Which, since it was announced in Japan, like, I... And I'm sure many others were just hoping that announcement was going to come some. Oh yeah, it was a it was a year and a half, or maybe even two full years ago. I'm not sure uh, when the, that the collection of mana was uh, announced. When there was radio silence on it for over a year, I had sort of I had sort of halfway or most of the way given up on it. But so Same. but it, so it's available digitally now and will be having a physical release in August. Um, but naturally, as soon as I got home from my vacation, I downloaded it onto my Switch and immediately picked up Trials of Mana. Uh, it's a game that I have played a um, bootleg, maybe not legal translation of for many, many years. <laughs> I've beaten that game probably uh, uh, eight or nine times, but now it's been nine or ten times because I finished a play one playthrough already, and I'm about halfway through a second playthrough. That game is uh, a little dated. Uh, some of its, you know, features are a little busted and will seem sluggish to a 2019 RPG player, but I really love that game, and it, it felt so sweet to be able to play it in an official, real, localized version, and uh, that game's great. You should check it out. Um, but but, but I, I admit $40 for a collection of three 90s games is a bit of a big ask, so... Uh, I, it comes very recommended. You can read Alana's review of the collection on the website, but I, I, I love Trials of Mana a lot, and it's, it has a lot of uh, customization and replayability, so I'm in the middle of a second playthrough and probably will do a third later this year. Yeah, uh, and I'm the same. Like I only had exposure to Second Densetsu 3's unofficial friend translation, and since then I've just always wondered why we never got it, and of course I've heard the various stories, this and that, and the other thing, and it's just great to finally have our hands on this legal version, so dropping the money for it wasn't 
really a big question for me either. I didn't, I, I grant why people are a little up in arms about the pricing of it, especially since we just got like the SNES Mini, which has it on it, and the remaster, take it or leave it, what you will. And then with them announcing Trials of Mana, their remaster next year. The SNES Mini only has only has Secret of Mana on it. They the yes, but, uh, but sorry but, to be clear, but, but yeah, still it's a it's forty dollars American for three games from ninety one, ninety three, ninety five. That's a uh, and some people don't, and also, and they're emulated versions that haven't been cleaned up a lot. Uh, so yeah. uh, some people are upset about that, but I mean, for me, it was very easy. It's uh, this is a game that I've loved for over almost two decades, and uh, and really, really uh, have been itching to play officially. So yeah, I went for it. Yeah, ditto. It was it was a pretty big no brainer for me, just because how much style alone Sega Densetsu Three has. And it was just worth getting into it, and I feel it's aged pretty well. Like there's definitely yeah some clunkiness to it, it to that game specifically, and with all of them, of course. And you know certain stats don't work this or that, or the other thing. It would have been great if they had had the ability to fix those up. But I can see, especially with Trials of Mana being remastered, why they wouldn't have invested the infrastructure into cleaning this one. Yeah, up. they'll uh, they just threw this one in there to uh, make it available, and the real promotional work and the real definitive version of sd3 is going to be that next remake next year which uh which looks neat but we still only have a trailer that's a few minutes long i'm uh very excited about that mm-hmm. it in a lot of ways looks like it's going to be uh, a, a better i guess take on the whole remaster and approach than secret of mana was and i hope they learn from the failures of that yeah quite uh, well. the the secret of mana remake was not very well received and but but this one looks like it has a bigger budget and uh and lo- and looks, but it looks like basically the same game as ST3. You have your, your your six main characters. You choose three at the beginning. Uh, you class change to learn um, to learn different move sets, and so every character has four final forms, and uh, there's 24 possible parties. Or uh, my math might be off there, uh, but yeah, I guess yeah, I guess, I guess, I, yeah, I guess it's 15 possible parties. But the um, it, it, it's a game I really really love, and I. Uh, it, it's been nostalgic and fun to get back into it because because even though I have played, beaten it many times before, it's been several years uh, since my last completed playthrough. Yeah, uh, we have two episodes of it being recorded in July for Retro Encounter. So if you want a real in-depth discussion on on uh, on Trials of Mana, that's what you get. That's the thing to listen to. Yeah, that's where we got our big play journal. But on uh, but you've you've been playing it with Gwen though, mostly, right? We have been a little bit. Yeah, uh, she had to follow a bit behind just because we do have shared custody, and for me to get things done on time for the podcast i had to jump ahead while she was away but we did get to i think we're near the first class change together and she's been enjoying this game immensely as well and and just loves the changes on it and has adapted to how it has been different from secret of mana because she played secret of mana a bit with her dad i think her and i i think i had first introduced it to her at some point and then her and her dad had since played it and they beat it and and she's enjoying or was expecting a lot of the same sort of stuff in this one, and I think has been enjoying how different it is, and she loves the character Charlotte, or <laughs> I guess Carly, in the uh, original translation, uh, despite, you know, her it's it's, her uh, it's 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 supposed to be Charlotte, but they only had six characters to work with in the old bootleg, so they renamed it Carly. Same, same thing, same thing yeah, with Hawkeye to Hawk. Exactly, and uh, so she really loves having, I guess, a kid character to identify with. I feel like she was the sprite as well, so she clearly has a, cho- uh, a type, and she likes being a healer so she can sit back and not be right in the mix. I think she enjoys the support and doesn't want to have the stress of trying to uh, kill everything. So she's appreciating having that role and wants to go all good all the time with this character, which is endearing. 
but she was expecting, which was funny to me, the because um, there's a charge bar in this one, which, uh, again, if anyone has played Secret of Mana, they know that you hold down the button to charge up your attacks, and as your weapons level up, you hold down longer and longer and longer, and you get better attack patterns that do more damage and such. Whereas in this one, you have a little bar that charges as you're going and as you're wailing on the enemies, and once it gets to a certain point, you can tap the B button and you execute a special attack. Uh, Gwen was thinking that was like your leveling up meter, so she thought once that was full, she would go to the next level, and it was that, that was her gaining experience. And I was like, you'd be ripping through those levels of that. Oh, Caitlin, this means that Gwen obviously should play Final Fantasy XIV and watch that level meter. Yes, I was just thinking that if she likes to be in the back and relax while healing people, well, she might change her opinion if she plays healer in fourteen. <laughs> she should have a chat with Auntie Caitlin. Because <laughs> healers, healers in Final Fantasy fourteen are like the furthest depiction from the traditional Final Fantasy white mage. You know, the pure, calm, sweet, you know, girl who just wants to heal everybody and love everybody. We are full of salt, and we are angry, and we we throw stones. Or now, white mage throws like white magic. So at it's people, uh, so. the white mage from eight bit theater, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Um, for have you gone through anything else in the collection yet, Solosi? Like um, the other two? I started Final Fantasy Adventure, which is a game I definitely haven't played in twenty years. I really liked it when I first played it, and you know, it kind of holds up. It's it's uh it has some really shockingly emotional moments for a nineteen ninety one Game Boy game, and it's a it's it's a dope little Game Boy RPG. Uh, I... Well, I feel like the mechanics are pretty tight in all three of them that they should hold up. Yeah, still. they they do. Um, I I don't like the late era gameplay in Secret of Mana because I think that uh eventually leveling up uh, your spells can get tiresome and uh, waiting like a full eight seconds for your best attacks on your most leveled up weapons is tiresome. Which I I I over that, yeah, I, I overwhelmingly true. prefer the combat in in Trials of Mana. But yeah, I, uh, I haven't played um, Secret of Mana on the collection because I played it on my uh, on my SNES Mini uh, last year. But I, I did start Final Fantasy Adventure and got to the quest with the uh, or the, the part of the story with Medusa, and it's like, oh yeah, this this game gets weird and dark. Uh, it's it, it's a very good Game Boy game, but I mean, it's it's also 28 years old, so it's 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 very fair. <laughs> Take yeah, it's very fair will. to call it archaic. Yeah, the mileage may vary for some people. And I mean, I, I feel like only true fans of the whole collection are going to pick this up anyways. You know, a lot of people like Nathan was saying for himself last episode that he's going to be holding off for the remaster because that's more his speed. He doesn't have the nostalgia tie. I mean, yeah, well, he, I Nathan, Nathan also doesn't like 2D Zeldas and uh, a lot of other things. Yeah. He, he, isn't a, he isn't a child of that era of games the way I am. Exactly. And then myself, exactly. Like, I appreciate good pixel work and I'm like Secret of Mana, Second Detective 3 still holds up even visually for me. I don't find it looks clunky. Like, I marvel at how much they pushed the Super Nintendo with some of these sprite designs and everything like that. Like, it's it's gorgeous. The sprite work and the spell effects are really, really good looking. I uh, And it's so much snappier than the second one, too, especially the spell effects. Like, everything just happens faster. But also, but the, I don't know, the, the part that I am still the most blown away by is the customization. There's, again, a lot of different party combinations and class combinations, and the game's not very long. You can beat it in... 15 or 16 hours uh and i you know i would i would beat it over and over again to experiment with different teams and classes and that's that's the the real uh best part of the game for me even though the action and the plot and the dialogue are all good but hold on 
Hold on. I thought the best part of the game for you was the turtle. Booskaboo is your seventh party member, and he is excellent. And his theme song is excellent, but... Uh, yes, it is. That ska beat is great. Yeah, but the uh, he, he's not the best part of the game. Maybe Alana holds a different opinion to me. <laughs> we'll see how, how words get exchanged going into uh, the second episode of Retro. I just like how it's also portable. Like it, it feels good having it on the Switch. I don't know if this game collection would have worked really like on exclusively held to the uh like the ps4 or some like a console based thing i wonder if they'll ever end up putting this to steam though maybe i think i think adventures of man i uh, found a pc release eventually didn't it the remaster one right yeah that's the that was the phone one uh yeah it was a phone game then a vita game and then i think was ported other places i'm not 100 percent sure right yeah which is different from because that's the, the well, that was the second remaster of Final Fantasy Adventure. The first one being Sword of Mana. Yes, uh, f- um, Final Fantasy Adventure is Second Densetsu One, and it was remade as Sword of Mana on GBA, and then Adventures of Mana on uh, on on Vita and mobile. I'm not sure if it if it ever got. Uh, Okay, okay, this is very weird. Secret of Mana's remake is on is on Steam and PC, but Adventures of Mana is not. Adve- Adventures of Mana is Adventures of Mana is only mobile and Vita. And they're essentially the same engine. Uh, may- maybe I don't know. At I, least, like, I stylist. The yeah, same. I haven't played a lot of either of those remakes. I, I did play the Sword of Mana remake, and it was it was okay, not great. I sort of think the Game Boy one's better, but um, sec- but the Secret of Mana remake is on Steam. Yeah, I have Sword of Mana, and I love it for the style because it has a lot of the nostalgia of um, how Legend of Mana looked and tying it into the look of what they were trying to build going through Seekin' Densetsu 3 and then further out into the series. Because I find, for myself, someone who did Secret of Mana and only had, I guess, Legend of Mana to turn to after that, I I find going back to Seekin' Densetsu, once I had discovered Seekin' Densetsu 3 and now playing through Trials of Mana, there's a lot of uh, similarities in design work in enemy design and stuff like that like you can see where they were ramping it up to and then having the full breadth of the playstation to play with gave them that much more power more artistic license and it's fantastic to see that growth so i love going back to it for that reason too yeah but i mean trials of mana it's like depending on what characters you pick there are three end game scenarios and a bunch of storyline and dialogue changes uh, yeah it, yeah it, that's a really neat factor too that really pushed the boundaries it's the team building and the customization that i think is the best part of the game yeah it's outstanding uh, i've are either of you, because Caitlin, you have a Switch, and Joe, yeah. do you as well? Or are either of you planning on grabbing the collection? Um, I don't know. I'm kind of more like Nathan in that I don't have the nostalgia factor for these games. I would also probably be waiting to see what the remake looks like and then deciding based on that. As for me, I, I have a Switch, but I kind of... I wouldn't say I don't have the nostalgia factor personally. I mean, I never played any games in the series. I, I generally like games from that era, but... I think it's just one of those things where the backlog is so big, like you guys were talking about earlier. It's like, I don't know when I would get to it, <laughs> cracking open a whole series. Then that's totally fair. Although, again, all of them are pretty quick to digest, which is, I guess, they're saving grace this day and age. And having on the Switch, you can just kind of, like, plunk through it on the bus, do some grinding, whatever. I think that's pretty handy. But, yeah, I can understand how a lot of people just hold off. Back in the day, like, 15-hour game was probably like, hey, this is long. Well, yeah, when you had that, just the cartridge space just to work with. I mean, how long yeah. was like FF6 as a full play? FF6 is like 30 and, F- like 30? and FF4 is like yeah. FF4 is like 20 to 25, yeah. And Secret of Mana, I think was also only around like 15 maybe. I don't remember it being super long either. It depends on how much grinding you really chose to put into it, but you can rip through it pretty quick if you know what you're doing. 
Either way. I don't know. I feel like RPGs have only gotten longer as they've gotten older. Like, yeah. at least most RPGs. They've just wanted like, to make we're them getting the point where you're lucky if a game is supposed to be like a 50 to 60 hour experience, and that's just what they say it is because most people don't usually play what the rated playtime is for a game. Yeah, I feel like that's just sticking to like just the main storyline. And not doing any additional grinding or a lot of extra side quests. Like, I feel like once you start getting everything involved, you can easily, like, almost double that time. But who am I And some games are never-ending like Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah, which I'll take that segue, because Trial of Man is great. But Final Fantasy XIV keeps going. We just got Shadowbringers. Caitlin, you've been playing a lot of it, I hear. I have. I've seen uh, almost everything, um, at least some of almost everything that the game has to offer. Um, and we have the... Uh, as Mike mentioned, the uh, the raid series, the story version of the raid series is uh, launching next week, so I'll be checking that out um, before I uh, finalize my review for the site, because we're at this point we're so close that I wouldn't want to put out a review and then just amend it a few days later um, for the raid content. So this is the 5.0, uh, as as we say in patch cycles, it's the third major expansion. Um, since Final Fantasy XIV was essentially rebooted with A Realm Reborn, um, aka 2.0. And there's a lot to say, so I'm going to try and and be concise, but I may very well start, you know, getting into minutia and feel free to tell me to shut up if I am. I mean, folks know what happens when you and I are on the podcast together. (laughs) Yes. It becomes becomes an (laughs) all-nighter. But do go on, please. Okay, so... Shadowbringers is, well, to start with, the story is absolutely fantastic. Um, to briefly get an idea of what's going on here without being too spoileristic, spoilerific. I don't know, I like, I like spoileristic. spoileristic. I just works, made a new yeah. word, guys. Basically, the player character, who is also known as the Warrior of Light, has to travel to a different world called the First in order to find some lost companions of hers and also potentially save the world, because of course, you know, that's just, this is what heroes do, do as you do. Um, a bit of lore background to sort of set the stage here. So the world that we've been playing in uh, all this time is called the Source. And a long time ago, there was this, this great uh, battle that basically sundered the world into the Source and 13 reflections or shards separated by sort of an untraceable void and sort of evolving separately on their own, but all still kind of connected in a certain way to the source. And because of that connection, they're related to the various different calamities that have been happening on the source. We learned about this uh, back in some of the post-Heavensward patches. We learned about the first back in Heavensward too, and how it has all but fallen to the power of light, and is about to just complete completely taken over. So basically, right at the beginning of Shadowbringers, you go to the first. You're looking for your friends that are ha- have been uh, called there before you, and you're also learning about this overwhelming presence of light and what you can do to try and uh, stop it. Not only to save the world of the first, but also maybe to uh, save your own world. It is 
an immensely good RPG story. Like, it's a great story that, uh, within the context of the previous expansions, that it expands the story that you already know. There's a lot of great lore, some really huge lore drops uh, that relate back to not just previous expansions, but the underlying basic conflict uh, that's been at the heart of the world and we're only now kind of learning about. But it's also just a good from start to finish adventure tale because you are going to a new world that you know very little about. You have to learn about the place and the people and what's going on. You meet a lot of people along the way that are part of your journey. And by the end of it, you know, there's the, 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 the sort of like, you know, what you might expect from a standalone single player Final Fantasy that's, you know, traditional sort of like things get epic and they ramp up and there's, uh, you know, lots of of uh, great battles to be had and, and, and things like that. Um, so that is, that's really, to me, was, I, I really liked that. Like, I expected a good story, but I, it was cool as I was playing through it to realize how well this just kind of works as a just a good RPG story, not even just a good Final Fantasy XIV expansion story, but a good RPG story. Well, it's so compelling from what I've been hearing about it, too, even way back when uh, Derek was still hosting and they were talking about it. It's just the idea that you're completely flipping the script now and you have to work against the light. You know, it's thing, it's the things have gotten so out of balance and now you have to be the Shadowbringers, presumably, is the conceit to try and balance that mm-hmm. and countermind it because balance is what it's about it doesn't mean good or evil being stronger than one or the other when something gets out of whack too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing yeah and there's an interesting to me anyway uh way that they do that i think you know when they when they announced the expansion when we had that uh really awesomely epic uh um uh, cg trailer uh, f- uh, focusing on, on becoming a dark knight. I think, we, you know, I, we all had sort of, you know, questions as to what it means to be a warrior of darkness. And I think a lot of the question was, well, does that mean that we're going to be evil now and we're going to do bad things to sort of counterman, ca- counteract light? I mean, we can watch that commercial that starred what's his face to figure out what it means to become a warrior of darkness. Oh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland and Hannibal Burris commercial. Yeah. That was so cute. But, uh, I oh mean, you don't God. really like become evil to fight darkness. Re- really. It's just this, this world is being threatened by light instead of darkness. And which is a flip of the script because normally you're fighting these, you know, beings called Asians who are trying to, you know, summon their dark God, which sounds real bad. <laughs> And but I, I, now, Caitlin, you could tell uh, talk about this more than I can. Um, one thing I've heard about the story is that the main villain is an Asian, who are these you know dark beings you've been fighting for six years now. But this new one is uh, like adding a lot more details and background to the warrior of light versus Asians conflict, and is uh, people are saying is one of the like maybe the best villain in all of FF14. Yes, and yes. And more, yeah, pe- yes. people are people are going crazy about the sp- the story, and maybe especially for this main villain character. Yeah, so you do he he's introduced in some of the Stormblood post patches, but this is the first time that the heroes meet him and know that he actually even exists. Because hitherto four, they didn't they weren't they had heard rumors of uh, his name from another character also in the Stormblood patches, but they had never met him before. So he's, he is present. He is the source of a lot of the lore uh, drops that happen um, throughout the game. And he's very, 
he is a good villain. Like, the Assians before kind of come off as being, uh, you know, they're kind of typical cliche bad guys. They wear dark robes. They wear masks. They they cackle to themselves. They're really one note thus far. Not a whole lot of depth and, and almost no reason for you to think of them as anything other than just evil incarnate. And the character that you that your characters at least get to meet in Shadowbringers helps to contextualize what Asians are, what their goals are in a way that you know they're still they're still bad people, but it makes it humanizes them a little bit more just by having more context and information about their past and what they want and how they're going to do it. So he is great. And I don't want to say anything more than that for fear of spoilers, but I will say that there were people that were concerned about the fact that we're going to the first when there's still a conflict on the source against the evil Magitek Empire Garlemald. And like, is this going to be like a filler story? Because the, the focus up until now was very much on this war with Garlemald. This, this ain't filler, guys. This is, this is some of the most important lore background for this game and for where the story is undoubtedly going to go if not in the next expansion then the one after so this is some really great stuff and beyond that there are lots of great character moments like all of your companions the scions they all get character development and good moments whereas they kind of felt a little bit like they were just your sidekicks through a lot of the stormblood series stormblood was focused so much more on uh, well, on Lise specifically, but also on Hien and the, the other Scions kind of were in the back seat. So he, the, the focus is on them a lot here. And it's, it's, it's just, there's so many times where I was like, I, I would react out loud. I, I, I never, I don't tend to cry even when I get emotional playing games, but I would wail at some moments. Uh, you know, they tug at the heartstrings. There's some twists that I didn't see coming that have implications uh, going forward. So one other thing that I loved was as the story progresses, it gets more and more personal for the Warrior of Light, for your character. There's something going on that involves you in a way that is dangerous and well, it's dangerous. I don't want to say what it is because that would be spoilers, but it was really cool to see the story take that sort of personal touch because, I mean, we're, we are a central figure in all the previous expansions, but sim- sort of similar to the Scions, you know, a lot of times we're there, we kill, we fight, we fight, we fight primals, we save the world, but the story kind of doesn't, you know, focus on us so much as it focuses on what we do in the world around us. And here, there's actually some elements of the story that do kind of focus on your character in some cool ways that I really enjoyed. So I, I could, I could go on, uh, but uh, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to forget some of the other big things like, uh, uh, battle changes and system changes, um, and whatnot. So suffice it to say, it's, it's the best story that Final Fantasy XIV has had. And that is, for me, saying something because I love Heavensward. Up until now, Heavensward was that bar that every expansion had to meet. And as much as I did enjoy Stormblood, Stormblood did not meet it. I was hoping that Shadowbringers would meet that level. I was not expecting it to surpass that level. 
So Shadowbringers praise. is now king as far as stories yeah, concerned. Yeah, awesome. the praise has been immense for Shadowbringers. Like people are calling it the best MMO expansion ever. Uh, a whole lot of praise, and it's from both you know niche sources and mainstream sources are praising Shadowbringers. And uh, the way Caitlin was talking about how uh, people thought that this was that moving that traveling to another world was taking the conflict away from the evil empire really i mean avoiding spoilers and painting in broad strokes like there's a lot of conflicts and threads throughout final fantasy 14 and we learned about this alternate world during the heavens word post game content probably in i don't know that would probably be 2016 so there's like there were seeds sown for this story and we know that like the gar- the uh the Asians, these dark beings are manipulating a lot of the conflicts and this is going into like deeper into the conflict of uh, of of who the Asians are, um, and and I think it just opens so many doors. Like it, the the next chunk of story could be going back and uh, fighting directly against the Empire again, while knowing more about the Asians. Or we now that we know that there's a uh, that the main world is the source, and there's multiple alternate dimensions, including the first. Like they could take the story to a new one of those worlds. That because uh, the first is I don't I don't Caitlin I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but it's a uh, it, basically, uh, like thousands of years earlier, the worlds uh, split into a bunch of parallel dimensions, and then each of those worlds sort of evolved separately. So th- the first is technically a mimic of the of the source, but it uh, it but it's much weirder. <laughs> and you'll no- you'll notice feet. Yeah, you'll notice yeah. features from Eorzea, from the the main from the uh, you know the 2013 Realm Reborn world of Final Fantasy. But like it, it but. The vegetation and monsters will seem different or even almost alien, and 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 that yeah. So the 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 main areas in Shadowbringers basically are all versions of the uh, Realm Reborn areas. Um, they don't look the uh, the general features are kind of similar, like the the version of uh, the Black Shroud, the forest where Gridania is is also a forest, but they look you know completely different otherwise. So that's been that's that was really cool exploring these areas and thinking. Wait a second, this is Thanalan. Wait a second, this is Limsa. Oh crap! So yeah, and that that also ties into a later uh, thing regarding our Asian uh, opponents, which was a really cool moment that I won't spoil, but it's it's cool. And the areas themselves are beautiful. There's so much color in the in this, in this expansion. Uh, the initial sort of area outside of where you land is covered in purple trees and has, you know, crystal clear blue water. There are areas that are full of flowers that are bright and colorful. The wooded area I mentioned has gigantic trees with huge canopies. The art direction and the color is just, it's so good with the, with the area designs. And that also extends to the, uh, the dungeons which, you know, they um, some really good uh, dungeon design, especially the final dungeon that I can't talk about for spoilers, but oh my god, it's my favorite dungeon in the entire game. So, yeah, that's all, it's all good. The music is also utterly fantastic. Um, Soken is kind of, he's really done, done himself yeah, I think with this, Soken's I think. Final Fantasy fourteen catalog is as good as any of Oimatsu's catalog. It's the the music in this is those are strong words. I've been playing Final Fantasy games since nineteen ninety two or nineteen ninety three. This is Final Fantasy fourteen is cheating a little bit by having what uh, six years and maybe eight albums worth of music, but it is 
so incredible. I'm just blown away by it. The uh, and and it, 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 the way he plays with genre. One of the uh, level 80 dungeons is a rem is a, like a remix of some Heavensward dungeon music and Final Fantasy like a NES Final Fantasy 3 melody and it's done in almost like a like a big beat electronica kind of song like it's a pendulum album or something it's it's a uh, it's it's unbelievable and the then the boss fight in that dungeon is a live version of one of the raid boss bat, uh, battle musics in, in also from Heaven's Word it's well it's a remix of one of the omega boss themes from Stormblood and also a remix from a 24-man raid series in A Realm Reborn. I don't want to specify because that would might that might get that tell you what the dungeon is. But it was very cool that music. I, if, if I'm thinking of the dungeon that you're talking about, anyway. No, it's a remix of Omega and Alexander with the with Crystal Tower stuff because that was the FF3 NES game I was referring to. It's it's like a mix of all of them. It's crazy. It's okay, not an yeah, actual episode. But, so. Okay, so <laughs> regardless, uh, the, those those two pieces I was referring to are appropriations or references to earlier Final Fantasy content and earlier FF14 content, and is in a genre that I would not expect in a dungeon theme or a boss battle theme. And the uh, the, the dungeon boss music is killer. It is just... It has it has yes. maybe the like one of the best versions of the you know how every Final Fantasy bo- uh, battle theme has the has has to have some variation of that. It has maybe the the coolest <laughs> opening percussion and 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 strings in any Final Fantasy game. And uh, it's very and uh, the epic. Rock Tika Greatwood music reminds me kind of the of like the Azim Step music from uh from Stormblood in that it's sort of a uh, it's almost like a world music genre with the with uh, the sort of very uh, like serene choruses and big percussion, it's uh, it's awesome. Like if you if even if you're not a Final Fantasy fourteen player, if you don't care about context, go on a YouTube safari of the best FF fourteen music because it is, I think, among the best catalogs of RPG music ever made. And and Shadowbringers is maybe the best slice of FF fourteen songs. It is. I I am blown away by this soundtrack, and I am still only going in Stormblood content. My highest job level is 65. What he said, <sighs> basically. Oh I have almost nothing to <sighs> add uh, to that, because it's all true. I'm a little, I'm a little um, verklempt. Except to say that something... The thing that Soken is really great, great at, in my opinion, is his ability to, to uh, use a theme in lots of different ways. Um, he does that with the main theme for every expansion, which gets used in uh, the hub worlds. It gets used in cutscene music. It gets used in boss theme music. Um, and that's really strong here. That boss thing that we were just talking about is basically uh, a, a, a remix of the trailer theme um, that we that we saw back uh, way back. Um, all of the dungeons are basically arrangements of the music that plays in the area that they are located in. And I have to say, um, I cannot explain this, the context, but the music used in the final story dungeon is like, I can't stop listening to it. Like, and, and the true story, when I got to that area, I didn't like the music at first. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. But as I continued through that area and then eventually got to that dungeon, I absolutely fell in love with it. It's used in such a really good way. That whole dungeon, is used in a really good way uh, that you don't see in a lot of dungeons, even you know, in Final Fantasy XIV. It's used to tell a story, and that was a really cool experience. That uh, honestly, 
my first experience in that dungeon, I wish I could get back again because it was so good. I want to have that first experience in that dungeon again. And it, one other um, late dungeon in that game, I think it's the the last optional dungeon, uh, the soundtrack is like, sounds like a, fi- a 1950s or 60s radio being tuned. And then it's, it's Bioshock. Yeah, yeah, it's Bioshock because you're right. It's a jazz trio, piano, drums, bass playing. And then they get, then there's a, I think for the, for like the cor- the quote unquote chorus of it, they bring in uh, a string orchestra a little bit, but it's basically a jazz trio song with radio sounds mixed in, and it is it's, it's creepy. breathtaking. <laughs> and and and, the, and in the context of the dungeon is is creepy, and and the the, comp- the I've seen the comparison to Bioshock, and it makes sense. And like holy cow, the audio presentation in, in Shadowbringers is amazing. I I yeah. I uh, it, it make. And the voice acting too. Oh, like, yeah, we're talking about music, but the voice acting is also across the board very good. So like, uh, my mind boggles. I, I mean, I know I'm being like super like this is amazingly good. It's not like absolutely everything was perfect. There are of course issues, most of which at the moment exist more like in the battle changes that they've made uh, to the game, which they will have to address. They always. Um, they always do balance patches um, after a major expansion. Healer mains are upset. <laughs> yes, healer mains are upset. So as with you know every expansion, there's there's a, always a rework to the way the battle system works. They usually they remove skills to try and deal with skill bloat. You know you got everyone gets new skills. There are new jobs, and there are a variety of opinions I've seen from people uh, as to whether they like the changes made to their jobs. Healers are not happy, uh, although Scholar and Astrologian mains are far more unhappy than White Mage mains are. I'm actually sitting kind of pretty because White Mage didn't have a whole lot that was messed with it. It still plays pretty similarly and has some new uh, useful tools. I feel for Astrologian mains, though, they kind of got the short end of the stick. And it's the same with DPS. There are some DPS that are uh, jobs that people are unhappy with. Um, and they'll, you know, like I said, this happens all the time. They make sweeping changes with the, the primary expansion, and then they spend the rest of the post-expansion pass, uh, patches trying to, f- you know, balance and fix things and whatnot. So we'll see adjustments as they go down the line. Um, there are new, two new jobs, a tank called Gunbreaker and a DPS called Dancer. Gunbreaker is kind of interesting. We were talking about this in the the pre-show about how it's kind of a a combination of like, well, pick your tank, but like maybe a paladin with a DPS. It kind of has, it's a little bit more focus on pulling off combos to build a gauge and, and, uh, and then, you know, bursting into a DPS kind of thriller. And I'm saying this for anyone listening, I don't play tanks. I unlocked Gunbreaker and I ran a few things with it just to I, I, myself, well, so. I have every tank at level sixty, and I and I only have leveled up Gunbreaker to level sixty one. But but your your assessment's pretty accurate. It's a it, it's definitely a tank, but it has a lot more button presses and a lot more sort of uh, a lot more technical nonsense than most of the tanks. A lot of the, I'm a I'm a warrior main, and I think the warrior got if anything less complicated in 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 Shadow. In, warrior, yeah, I've yeah, warrior hasn't yeah, because warrior hasn't very changed much. very much. They removed one of the one of the combos and one of the stances, and a lot of the new skills are just upgrades of old skills. So if anything, I think I have fewer buttons on Warrior now than I did um, 
than I did in Stormblood. But uh, Gunbreaker feels it doesn't. It's not trying to maximize a damage window like Warrior, and it doesn't have a ton of defensive cooldowns like Paladin. But it has more button presses and a lot of options, including some healing for your allies and shielding for your allies. Yeah, so it's, that's uh, really cool. It, yeah, Gunbreaker has a. It's a, it's very technical. It has a lot of button presses, but it's really satisfying. And um. And and the, maybe the coolest part of Gunbreaker is the extra combination skills it gets at level seventy, and I haven't gotten to play with those yet. But uh, like as a tank main, Gunbreak who does some melee DPS on the side, Gunbreaker is exactly in the center of that Venn diagram. So I'm so I'm very exci- I'm very excited to level <laughs> up Gunbreaker more after I clear some more story content as Warrior. And then there's Dancer. Dancer is a really interesting uh, job for them, um, in large part because. Its primary gimmick is to buff the party. So it's a dancer. The primary gimmick is you start dancing, you perform a certain number of steps. It's kind of like a Simon Says thing where once you start the dance, you have to use moves that correspond with, uh, you know, red, yellow, blue, green colors. And if you do it successfully, then, uh, you either can buff a party member that you're you're tethered to that you're dancing with your dance partner, as they say, or uh, later on you can buff the uh, everyone within range, so the entire party. Um, so that that's that, that's the primary thing that you kind of you know the, the primary gimmick of dancer. So it's it's kind of more of a you know bard machinist support class, and we've always kind of thought about would they ever give us a fourth role within the, the, the existing paradigm of, you know, have a, a, a support class? And it's not. It's a DPS, but it's kind of an interesting uh, development as a DPS class uh, because the focus is so very clearly on putting out buffs on the party. Um, it's also really fun just to play to DPS with uh, in terms of how the different skills work. So you... You have a, a single target combo and an AoE combo, uh, both of which will proc secondary uh, single target and DP, uh, AoE combos. Those proc combos then proc a third set of combos, and then that third set can proc like a, a finisher that's like an AoE move. It's a lot of fun. It's fast. Um, something that's really cool about it that I found when I was uh, testing it out is you're not penalized by jumping around your proc. So if you have multiple procs up, you don't lose a combo by going to another skill, even if it has nothing to do with the skill that procced, uh, you know, your old combo. If you start a dance and you have a bunch of procs up, those procs are still there when you're done with the dance. They could have made it a lot more punishing and forced you to do combos in order and to do procs before you do a dance. I'm grateful they didn't because it feels really nice and fast and fluid as a result so uh, i'm definitely looking forward to leveling it up more i have concerns about it with regards to raid feasibility because its personal dps is not as as uh, as high obviously as other classes it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be a more of a support class uh but we'll have to see how its personal dps and the amount of raid uh dps it can uh, put out on other party members uh, gels with other classes in uh, for, for that it'll just be time and experimentation because the most I mean the most in demand melee for a lot of raiding in Stormblood was the ninja which has the lowest DPS of the four melees but has the best support skills of the four melees so it's 
Yeah, I mean, we'll yeah. see how the balance shakes out, whether the uh, support that the dancer offers will outweigh um, the higher, the, you know, the more powerful offense of Machinist or Bard. But, uh, Caitlin, we're burying the lead a little bit. Gun- um, dancers wield, uh, like, bladed uh, chakrams like boomerangs and gunbreakers use a- and gunbreakers yes. use ff8 gun blades <laughs> uh and they're very they're both oh, of them yeah, very cool they're, they're stylish they mean, like, as hell. they're great yeah well it sounds like they also differ a lot from what i remember dancers being is usually bards were the buffers and dancers were the stat down at least that's what it was in tactics i can't remember what it was like in five well dancers have a variety of effects in five but basically in in FF14, both Bard and Dancer are ranged attackers with some buff skills, and uh, but but it looks like Dancer is in in the balance currently. The Dancer ha- has more buffs than Bard. Yeah, they also kind of reduced Bard. Yeah, they did. They, they nerfed the Bard songs. Uh, in yeah. I don't know if I love it. It's kind of weird because they said that they wanted to reduce party synergy requirements, oh, yeah. so that's kind of related to it. Um, but then they wanted to emphasize dancers because that's the whole point. Dancer is supposed to be able to boost party synergy by buffing the party. So it's kind of this weird thing where it's like, I I, I feel bad for dan- for for bard mains because if their whole identity was based around I'm there to boost everyone else's DPS, and now it's like dancer is the new hotness. I, I think they wanted to avoid situations like bard dragoon. Yeah, in, in Stormblood, yes. bard deals piercing damage. And uh, gets procs from extra critical hits, and uh, the dragoon can reduce enemy piercing defense and give a buff that creates critical hits. So like they were perfect complements to each other, and so powerful a combination that I-, I think both of them topped their roles for a lot of the last patch. And so they wanted to remove ultra synergy like that. So they removed the different damage types, and then now it's no longer sla- slashing, striking, mm-hmm. piercing. And they also and they and they gave bard yeah. uh, fewer. Um, support buffs. So, so uh, they, they wanted basically they wanted to create more options, and to do that, they uh, reduced some of the obvious synergy combos. But so far, it feels it feels okay. Like I, I um just messing around with warrior a lot and paladin and and gunbreaker a little bit. Um, I think the tanks play more similarly now. Yeah, they're because uh, they all have a. Th- all have a three-hit single-target combo and a two- or three-hit range combo, and they removed the tank combo, and they all have a bunch of defensive cooldowns, um, and they all have one stance that's an identical enmity stance between all three, all four tanks. Yeah. This is the best time to start tanking if you've never tanked before, by the way, because it's never been easier yeah, it's than easiest, it is right now. It's easier now. Um, when you get to advanced content, you need to be very... Uh, now tanking is less about managing all of your buttons and being technical and much and uh, and more about being aware and playing smarter uh, but th- I think tanking has gotten easier but the focus on it is also uh, I think a good design decision it, it basically tanking feels the same but not but uh, there I have fewer buttons to think about and again as a tank main um, warrior feels the same paladin it feels slight changes and gunbreaker is sort of exciting and new and my, my the other class I play the most, Monk, uh, has only a couple changes, and they're all positive. I love the changes they made to Monk. We'll see how things, I guess, pan out. I know that part of the problem with the healers is that they, uh, or p- people who don't like the healer changes, is that they kind of homogenize yeah. the healers mm-hmm. a little bit too much. So we'll see. I, I, I haven't leveled my Astrologian. I have dabbled in it i'm actually a little bit scared to take it into dungeons and party in duty finder just because they made things one of the things that they did they did is they wanted healers to have to focus more on healing so things hit harder 
in dungeons, in trials, the whole shebang. And tanks are still pulling, you know, in Duty Finder, uh, they're still pulling multiple packs, usually, uh, so big pulls. It's harder to keep tanks alive now. And I mean, not that that's a problem, but like, I have to scramble sometimes even on White Mage. And White Mage has pr- some of the best toolkits for, for those kind of pulls. I'm kind of legit scared to try doing big pulls on my ass just because of their reduced uh, potencies and whatnot. So, but this is also that they will likely change. They will they will nerf things. They will buff things. We'll yeah. see how mm-hmm. things shake out. Um, uh, if not, when they drop the savage rates, then we'll see uh, changes made in uh, the next uh, main patch, five point one. I I haven't heard anything about a single job being overpowered though. Like, uh, is there a, is there a candidate that the community thinks needs to be nerfed? I I haven't heard much. Well, uh, scholars and astrologians definitely want white mage to be nerfed. I'll yeah, tell you that okay, white mage sense. can put out tank levels of DPS right now. Oh, weird! It's it is stupid how overpowered white mage the potential DPS anyway can be. Um, Dragoon is super powerful right now. Um, well for me. I'm sure dragoons love it. Black mage is I've seen black mage parsing huge amounts on on the uh, the, the the high uh, players the players that are you know parsing uh, super high the level eighty jump that the dragoon gets looks incredible oh my god it's it's sick it, it is in a good way it, it is e- either that or the level eighty dark knight skill that almost is a spoiler <laughs> or are, are, are the two coolest new moves I've seen I think <laughs> yeah. Everything looks really cool. Oh, All the moves so look really cool. Even if you're not super happy with what they do, they're they're super cool. Dark Knight is my is my least favorite of the four tanks, but I kind of want to level it up to 80 just to get that cool new skill. <laughs> it looks so great. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and for the the awesome story, Dark Knight has, yes. you know. Dark Knight has has maybe the best level 50 story quest it's yeah it's, it's which awesome. worth pointing out that the person who wrote the dark knight story was behind the Shadowbringer story yeah oh, so. oh shoot what's her name it's natsuko something right mm-hmm yeah, yeah. Oh. so that's uh, part of the yeah, reason why it's so good yeah, i think it's natsuko it's either ichikawa or ishikawa i forget but she's um like like she wrote a lot of the best like job quests in um in Stormblood and Heavensward, and is now the main scenario writer, and now she is she's a she's a goddamn heroine. I mean, holy crap! The, like like uh, she has been responsible for so many of the so much of the best writing in FF14 that I I I, I, I want more out of her. Like have her write everything forever. They better they better not let her go. With apologies to I Yoshi mean, P. <laughs> give her FF16. I'm, I'm not against it. And, and let Soken do the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep Soken and, and Ishikawa around, please. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, okay, so just, we've been talking about this for a while. I don't oh, want to keep droning on, but there are just a few other things I want to mention that are interesting yeah, no changes. Worries. I mean, uh, for me, the ex- most exciting thing is always hearing about the new classes, but I'm oh, so yeah. glad the story holds up around them. Mm-hmm. And I do have a question about, uh, just before you go on further, sure. when you were talking about the environments earlier, we just kind of jumped off into the music, which, again, I've been hearing insane things about. Mm-hmm. For the environments themselves, have they gone, like, really alien with it? Like, you're saying the colors and stuff are very dramatic, but, like, design-wise, is it a really an alien world, or is it just... It's a world that just has crazy colors. Uh, well, it's kind of both. Like, it's not... Okay, that's exciting. It's not like it's a completely, like, you can't relate anything that you're seeing here to something that you've seen in 
well, in the world of 14 or in real life, it's not like that alien. No, but it's but so it's it, it is it is arrestingly different, like um, especially where you end up when you first get to the first <laughs> when you first get to the first. <laughs> it's it's so it's so kind of, you know, immediately in your face kind of different that it, it you do kind of have that sensation of. Holy crap! I'm on another world, and it's 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 almost not until you start really exploring a couple zones that you kind of pick up on and realize, wait a second, this is Mordona, this is this is Limsa, this is Ishgard, like, and it's they don't they're not they're not trying to make it super obvious. Like, it's not like you would find the same you know structure or the same hill or the same whatnot. But there are there are enough similarities that once you think about it. Uh, and, and think, wait a second, this is a reflection of the source. Of course, the basic structure of the land should be similar, um, that you kind of start to notice things like that. And this is unrelated to world building, but uh, I, I think that Shadowbringers is basically going to mimic the content distribution from Heaven's Word and Stormblood. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the new expansion lands, it's six major zones, one metropolis, and one sort of final staging area, smaller city, and the, and there's going to be one signature raid series, one alliance raid series, and a bunch of primal fights. So we can sort of expect the pace and the nature of some of the content that they're going to keep giving to us, but that's just exciting. Like, like because they've been supporting FF14 so well, we know what kind of content is coming, but the qual- level of quality of the 5.0 content is so high that I mean I mean the the FF14 community is maybe at an all-time peak of excitement right now and it's uh, it, like the more I read about FF14 the more excited I am for more FF14 and yeah. uh, and again and it's it's showing in the crap. servers they've been congested oh my god before yeah. <laughs> early access like it's 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 super hard to make a character on a North American server right now, unless you're like get up in the in you know the wee hours of the morning. I had to uh, wait 20 minutes for a single player duty for a job for a for a job quest. Mm-hmm. It would, again, not multiplayer. It's j- just me doing doing some solo content to up to upgrade my job. The servers were so busy. It I had to wait 20 minutes for it to create a solo instance. It's that's yeah. that's wild. Was well, that problematic? Do you find or or is that just a it shows it's popular, which is great, but it's just is is that something they should really start accounting for? Oh, I'm I'm sure they're building. It's just because they're out. overloaded with people right yeah. now, and the solo instance queues are a good thing because, man, Mike, you will not have experienced this because you were not playing Stormblood when it launches. But everyone who played Stormblood um, during early access at, or and at launch remembers. Robon Extreme and Pippin Extreme. Oh yeah, I've I've heard about that. I don't even know what it is, but um, I I I started F14 in late 2016 and then stopped playing around when Stormblood came out. So I I, mm-hmm. I barely missed it. Those were uh, they made the mistake of having solo instances that were very early on in the story, and they did not have a way to queue people for that. Once once the the server the instance server for those uh, duties were were at at max, you could not progress you couldn't even sit in a queue and wait so people would get glitched out trying to progress the story because it was so early and because they were flooded with people 
So they learn their lesson. There isn't a solo instance in uh, Shadowbringers until level 72. And they made a queue system, which they actually implemented before Shadowbringers, for, I think for some job quests, but didn't actually have to use it before now that much because there, you know, there's always a lull right before expansion hits. Um, so now, now you won't have to worry about that. You will have to sit, I think, were you sitting on a black screen with a thing ticking down? I was, yes. Yeah, so that's the, unfortunately, you can't do stuff while you're waiting in the queue, but at least you're in a queue and you don't get an error and can't progress the story. Right. But, uh, Caitlin, I had a question for you. Um, I've mentioned mm-hmm. job quests several times already in this long discussion that we're having, because every, yes. because every job has a quest line where you, where, uh, you know, basically you were speaking to sort of a mentor character and learning about the lore and background of the, uh, of the, fighting style that you're doing and a lot of the job quests are really fun but they removed them in Shadowbringers. now they're they're replacing them with role quests and yeah and so so basically there was a there was five heroes b- before you on the first called the uh, who were the first warriors of light before light started to take over and uh, and you meet them in in uh, in the heavensward post game uh but now they uh and at the end of that they uh you you basically learn about the first from them, but and you fight them a couple times, but you you don't go deep into their backstories. But these role quests, I think, please correct me if I'm off on this. I think each of the role quests uh, centers around a a type of of job. So like one of them is for tanks, one of them is for healers, one's for physical DPS, one's for magic DPS, and each quest is like a similar is like a, a mini storyline focusing on one of the four warriors of darkness. From from, yes. from three years ago. Yes, uh, minus minus their leader because he yes he he's the, plays it, a different role. He's the fifth. He's, yeah, he's the about. he's the fifth one, and he is more important than the other four. Uh, yeah, and also amusingly, <laughs> Caitlin knows this, of course. But uh, those five Warrior of Darkness characters that you meet in the in Heavensward, they are the three. I'm sorry, the five main characters that appear in the uh, original 2010 trailers for Final Fantasy 14, like like re- basically representing the the five starting starting races from the original version. They got some use, and out they of got them. some use out of them, and by making them important uh, anti heroes in <laughs> like like six years later, How, that's wild to me. Yeah, that's pretty genius. Leave nothing in the scrap heap. So Mike is totally right. There are no more job quests um, until you hit 80 and finish the main story. And then every job has a a sort of an an, an end cap quest where you get your achievement for it and whatnot. Um, But the primary quests are role quests uh, that you can complete on any job in that role as long as it's the appropriate level. Um, So you don't have to do it all on one job, although a lot of people will be doing it on the job that they're leveling for the content. Yeah, makes sense. And yeah, it's really cool. I I think it's a really smart idea for them to have those quests center around learning more about the Warriors of Darkness because Ardbert, their leader, is the one who gets really all the development when he shows up in Heavensward. And even then, it's not a whole lot of development. You learn a little bit about him, and and then he's gone. Um, But you don't really have any, you know, development about his companions. We learn more about them from the lore book than from... Their mage is quiet. That's a character trait. And that's about it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and their white mage has the hots for their warrior mm. that we learned from the lore books. And, uh, and oh yeah, and their uh, their archer taunt is the one that taunts you the most. She's, yes. she, she seems a little spicy. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> and I know you know, of course, some people would you know we would all in an ideal world probably have preferred 
individual job quests, but obviously with the amount of jobs that would, that gets progressively harder every time they add jobs. And also from a lore perspective, you can't really continue jobs with your trainers because they're not on the first with you. So yeah, it kind of makes sense that they wouldn't have been able to continue that. Um, it's the same thing with the crafters and gatherers too. They have their own sort of, they're not called role quests. They're called facets, but they did the same thing where they, they, they put several different crafters and gatherers together in related groups, and you can do turn-ins, uh, custom deliveries, and the sort of quest line along that way for the crafters as well. Um, so it's a good—I I don't know. I, I think it's a good solution to, you know, have all these jobs uh, and still have the kind of the feel of, que- of job quests without— overtaxing the writing team and having yeah. them have to do individual storylines for what are we 17. at 16 or 17? Yeah, yeah, 17 17 17 plus blue mage which is its own weird thing but i i, oh, I, I think mage. i think that's really the reason instead of having to write 17 optional quest lines they write four optional quest lines and have those four um be more uh, attached to the lore of the of the new place you're visiting um, and uh, and also you know go deep into the you know lore that was first explored in a Heavensward post game in uh, three years ago. So it, from a practical standpoint and a story standpoint, I think it was a very good, cool design decision. And again, I don't have anyone at level seventy yet, so I can't start those quests. But uh, I'll, I'll get there eventually. You'll get there. I'll get there. I'll get there. You're you're making good progress. Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a, so. I, I can be a pretty intense power leveler when I uh, when when I put my mind to it. And if you, uh, I don't know anyone that checks my lodestone page, will be like, oh geez, he got another another job to level fifty. What a maniac! <laughs> and I'm sitting here as a level six lancer. I started my free demo phase, whatever it was, uh, subscription, like at the beginning of the month, and then I got like two different projects handed to me with for the site, and they're just like, hey, just a reminder, your free period's ending. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. oh well. I have eight <laughs> jobs at level 60, another four or five at level 50. Yeah, so well, what else do you have uh, for us with Shadowbringers before we press on? Oh. Well, there are a lot of little oh boy. changes to things. Like, they uh, they got rid of TP, so now everyone uses MP for their moves. Um, there's uh, Why is that significant? Just to unify the... I guess the well because TP term. TP was only used by tanks and uh, physical DPS casters would only in the olden days would only ever use TP to sprint back when sprint still uh, took all your TP away so you have like half of the jobs that have nothing to do with TP and it just became kind of like a you know it's an extra thing to keep track of it would it would uh, clutter the the party list because the party list would show both MP levels and TP so they just decided to consolidate them into one resource as opposed to having multiple resources that not every job uses, although not every job uses MP anyway. So, like, Gunbreaker, I don't see... Any, Gunbreaker has no skills, I don't think, that use MP. Yeah, neither, so. neither does Warrior. I think the only the yeah. only tank that... Uh, um, but Dark Knight does use MP a lot, and I think Paladin, yeah. Paladin uses it a little bit, but Warrior and Gunbreaker don't use MP at all. Yeah, Paladin has a, a rotation, a part of the rotation where they're spamming, uh, what is it, Holy Spirit, over and over again. Um, and then Dark, so, Dark Knight uses MP all the time, yeah. Yeah. So little things like that, little quality of life adjustments, um, and the, we'll, we'll see how those things shake up. One of the nice additions, though, uh, in terms of functionality uh, is the trust system. 
So we we kind of had a precursor to this before now. Uh, when if you would level up your squadrons with your grand company, you could eventually take them on missions where you have AI playing your squad and you're there filling whatever roles needed. And they're pretty stupid and bad, but you can get through a dungeon, they get experience, you get experience, whatever. This is sort of an evolution of that system, only it's not random squadron NPCs, but it's your, it's the fellow scions that you are traveling with. They all have different roles that they can play, so no matter you know what job you're working on through main story or leveling or whatnot, you can find a group. You can you can make a, a party that will uh, comprise tank, healer, and two DPS. Um, the AI is improved, from my experience, decent amount from squadron missions. They still run slower than if you were to go and play with other people, but that is in part by design to make sure that people actually still use Duty Finder. Uh, to run content so that we don't have a you know a dearth of, of available players, um, and it's really neat because they they have they have their own styles of doing things. Um, Alize, for instance, she will hit limit break the second that you have it. So if you're on a DPS class with her, you're gonna have to fight her to to, to limit break. Um, so things like that, and they're you know like they they might get hit by things um, more often than other characters or whatnot like that. And they'll also have little commentary as you go through dungeons as they see things, and it's just kind of cool uh, to to go through these dungeons at least for the first time when you're going through the story with these NPCs that are part of the story with you. It makes it feel that much more like a traditional RPG Final Fantasy experience. And it's also great because, like, you know, the first time I run through a dungeon, I want to take in the scenery. I want to learn the boss fights. Um, before before this, I would usually try to read up on boss fight strategies, even just in four-man dungeons, just because I knew I'd be going in with other people and I wouldn't want to mess up. But with trust, I don't care. I'm going in blind and I'm learning along with my NPC companions, and it's kind of cool. So that's a really neat system that they've added. Um, I hope that it continues. They only are available on main story uh, dungeons, so the like the bonus dungeons at the end of the game right now you can't use them on. And, and, it's, and it's only it's, it's only the, from level seventy above too. You can't do old dungeons. Yeah, this. yeah. It's only it's only Shadowbringers uh, main story dungeons. They have said that they would ideally like to expand them to previous content, but they have to program the AI behavior for every dungeon and add in like their little commentary and whatnot. So just make Estinian as aggressive as possible and a super jerk. I want Emmerich. Emmerich as on Paladin. Uh, I I want Estinian as a Dragoon and Hilda as a machinist. Please and thank you. Yes. It's still a really neat sounding system though, I guess for people who just don't have the time to get into a a raiding party or whatever. It's really good for DPS whose cues suck right now and in general compared to, to tanks and healers even tank queues kind of suck right now because there's uh there are a lot of influx of tanks because of gunbreaker when i when i have a level up dps i can only use those grand company uh uh ai ai dungeons that you mentioned earlier or alliance mm-hmm. ra- alliance raids because they have more than uh, they need more dps than usual but but you're right in general dps queues are the worst yeah so it's cool the whole thing is cool I could keep talking about it, but I, sh- I think I should save some commentary for the review, lest totally fair. Lest lest listeners read the review and say like, "Oh, I heard this all already." Are you Joe, uh, someone who's ever wanted to get into Final Fantasy fourteen and been curious about it? I played Final Fantasy fourteen probably right back before Heaven Sword came out, and I got up to maybe like level forty five or so, 
Um, I remember liking it a lot. I don't really remember why I stopped playing. I think I just sort of... Because I always tell people when people are asking me about MMOs, because we're not exactly living in like the golden age of MMOs, and maybe that's just my personal opinion, but there's just not a lot of them like there used to be maybe a decade ago. I tell people it's probably one of the best I've played, but I sort of let it lapse, and then it becomes more difficult to get back into it. I guess that would be one question I would have, and I'm sure somebody listening would probably have after the kind of glowing review, is sort of like, how difficult is it to get back into? I mean, there's been a few expansions at this point, a lot of story content. Uh, I'm thinking back to when I played World of Warcraft, you know, you get into it later, it's like you got all these empty zones and like kind of pointless quests like in Burning Crusade and stuff like that. Uh, is there that kind of effect here or? Well, they they'd certainly, um, they've added a lot of content that is by and large designed to incentivize uh, players to do old content. So there are roulettes, which give people extra experience. And if you hit, once you hit level cap, they give you tomes for, for gear for doing, you know, a random selection of dungeons, which may, or in trials, which may include stuff that people are working through for their main story. There's wandering tales, which lets you, uh, you have a certain, uh, set of dungeons or trials that you have to run through to try and, uh, uh, or sorry, not wandering, wondrous tales, sorry. Wondrous Tales. Sorry, Chloe. That gives you like a task list of various different dungeons and trials to do to try and fill out a, t- um, a tic-tac-toe board to get prizes and whatnot. Like that. So they, they do things all the time to make sure that there's a healthy pool of people to do content with. And I mean, the old zones, I still see people in, you know, the old, the old world hubs and zones. I mean, not nearly as much as in Shadowbringers, but that's to be expected. They're still pretty popular when I was in Gridania, yeah. just playing where I am right now. The three starting metropolises will always have people in them because there's a lot of stuff centered in those three cities. And of course, the the most recent areas will be the most populated, but the only areas that feel empty are, I don't know, some zones from uh, Realm Reborn or Heavensward that just don't have... That, that aren't the three starting cities. Those can feel a little bit empty, but, but um, Caitlin brought up roulettes and uh, and and Chloe's Chloe's wondrous tales and things. Finding a group for old content will never is never difficult. But um, but seeing the world populated, it, it, you you do notice it the new versus the old content. But in terms of doing dungeons or story missions, I, I've never had a problem with that. Yeah. And the other thing that I heard was coming in because I think Scott was talking with me about it. Um, Scott, who for those who don't know, is someone who does a lot of our Twitch streaming for us. He's rad. Hi, Scott. He was mentioning. Something about, like, there's basically, like, a new game plus function that's kind of being introduced here. I'm so excited about that. They're adding it soon. It's not in the game yet, but it's going to let you run any story content that you want from previous expansions at your, uh, or or, or rerun it, either, uh, as long as you're, as long as the job that you're using is is at a, is at the minimum level. So you can, so you can rerun old story content either for story reasons or for leveling reasons, and that is super, super cool. Yeah, and they haven't. They ha- we don't know super yet how it works. My my guess is that it's going to be maybe a toggle, so that you would toggle your progress. Um, so if you want to do a certain set of quests, like if you wanted to start with Heaven's Word, you don't want to do the Realm Reborn slog because 
most people don't. Maybe you can toggle it so that that's where the game sees your progression on, and then you can untoggle it when you want to go back to doing, you know, Shadowbringers content. But they haven't. We will probably hear um, more about that as we get closer to 5.1, which I think is where it's going to be coming out. But that that's a really cool function to have. Um, and I've been I've been wanting to replay Heaven's Word for a long time, and I already want to replay Shadowbringers. Yeah, one review I read said that. Uh... Uh, the reviewer said she wants the new game plus functionality in as soon as possible so she can just run through Shadowbringers with every job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I I concur. But to get back to that question about getting back into the game, um, it, I don't... In, ter- in terms of just, like, you know, reacclimatizing yourself, there's a bit of a, you know, you had to relearn things and whatnot. There's always, you know, there's roulettes and stuff like that, but there's also, you know, FCs and link shells and people that are that you can reach out to for help and things like that. Uh, I think that, you know, the Realm Reborn and the post-Realm Reborn patches are the slowest and the, the most slog part of the game. That's That, more than anything else, is the challenge. If you're coming back and you haven't gotten to Heaven's Word yet, that could be a bit of a challenge, just dealing with that, that the humongous amount of quests that it takes to get there. But, you know, if you can stick it out, and I know people, are, I'm sure, are tired every time that we say that, you know, just stick it out because heaven's word is is that much better it really is and now yeah. with Shadowbringers, like yeah St- stormblood and realm of born are good heaven's word is better and people are saying Shadowbringers is the best it is the best it's the best expansion it's honestly one it's the best final fantasy experience in like the past decade that i've had and it's now it's not my favorite final fantasy like it, it dethroned with Shadowbringers. it's de- it's dethroned final fantasy 12 which you know if you know me that Whoa, is also saying something that's huge yes i still love 12 you're, you're number two in my heart 12 but 14 is king and being king is good is it is it number 10 two in your heart no way. No. That's already a weird number. I mean, number I that like him up. too, Thanks, but I don't need I don't need dance spheres in uh, in Evilise. No. Dress spheres. Well, dress spheres. Actually, maybe one of them is dancer though. I don't I I don't remember if there's a dancer. I, don't I think remember. there's a dress sphere to be a dancer. Yeah, I'm probably, pretty probably certain there is. Yeah, got it. Do dancers synergize with bards? I want to see that. Like like for the performance thing, because they added that whole kind of like guitar heroy game thing for the bard performing or whatever it was. I wonder if they'll do something similar for dancer. Um. I didn't see anything in their tooltips that would suggest that like their buffs don't overlap per se. In terms of like like Bard plays the music and dancer dances, like um I don't think that there's anything like that. Bards can perform though, like outside of content. So you could have a bard performing and a dancer doing a dance. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Think, I think that, I that was you what you were referring to, the guitar hero. Link like. those up, yeah. <laughs> People do. Some people just equip Bard and will just play music in one of the lobby areas for for hours. It's it's yeah. it's amazing. This community can is pretty strange and amazing. Well, and like the the dancers, I guess for each of their dances, do they have their own unique songs or whatever, or does it just go to the whatever music's playing? They're they're just dancing. There's there's no music playing. Gotcha. Yeah. They just did something in their head. They it's just got the beat. Their own beat, yeah. The dungeon music rhythm. and boss music is good enough that you don't want anything interfering with it. No, and that was, yeah, kind of, not necessarily my concern, but just, yeah, how were they balancing that? And I guess my other question for the dancer, because you were saying how there's the four things key to the, all the, the colors. Mm-hmm. I wonder, does it all feed into a different type of dance? Or does, like, the dancer's whole moveset seem to be inspired by a particular dance form? Uh, well, I mean, like, there's the, there aren't, for like... For the uninitiated about dance, no. <laughs> I don't know enough about dance just to say, like, this is... 
different kinds of forms. There's two different steps that either lets you buff one person or the party. All, all it involves, like I said, as the Simon says, basically you have you have four basic moves that are um, your standard uh, single attack combo, and then the 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 two moves that are procced from those two uh, single target attacks. There are the four different colors, and when you start a dance, they transform into the special uh, versions of those that are just solid colors that you all all their function is is for you to hit them when the game prompts you to in order to complete the step. And when you finish the dance, depending on how many of those you get right, which it's not hard at all to uh, to get them right unless you like you know you're in the middle of something and you get distracted. Um, but based on the number of steps you complete, it increases the buff uh, of of your your that you give to the the person you're dancing with or to the entire party. That's neat. If you want to get a feel for the like visual inspiration of the dancer's movement, uh, you should just look at the watch the dancer trailer from uh, February of earlier this year, uh, where they, the dancer does a lot of their key moves to the FF14 version of Vamo a la Flamenco from FF9. Yes. It's, it's a cool trailer. I'm going to check that out. Well, is there uh, much else you want to dive into, or should we save the rest for your review and press on with uh, the last bit of uh, chatting today? I think we should save the rest for the review. I didn't, I didn't mention the trials, but they're fun. Right. They're ha- they have good music. Um... I've done the extreme versions, and those are, you know, they're fun. They're 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 not like the most challenging things in the world, but they're kind of on par with like the initial pri- extreme primals that we've seen in previous expansions. So. Yeah, yeah, and by the way, uh, primals are special monsters. A lot a lot of them are Final Fantasy summons, and trials are special boss battles that are very heavy on mechanics and precision, and really really exciting. And the final trial is really good and epic, but I can't talk about it because spoilers. <laughs> yep, that's totally fair. And I feel like not good music is a thing you will not hear with this any of your views or commentary on this game so the only thing is you might get tired you might get tired from hearing the lahi of the Rakatika Greatwood music because it plays a lot while you're there (laughs) even though that whole track is great like I don't dislike the track but everyone the the meme right now is the lahi it's either lahi from that song or it's the lali ho greeting that you have to do when you're talking to dwarves because it's like dwarves are lalafels everyone in the first has a different name that actually aligns more with like traditional deep fantasy um, from like you know books and stuff, so like the Elizen are elves and and the Elves are dwarf and things like that. But like oh, you have to you have to greet dwarves by saying by reaching out your hand and saying lolly ho. So throws back to Final Fantasy Nine. I like it. Yeah, and well, and four. Oh, four as well. Yeah, you're right. It's good. It's very good. <laughs> I'm getting the sense, and it's just making me want to play it again more, and I want to set everything else aside and just play that, which I think soon I'll be able to. As soon as this podcast is over, I am eating something because I'm starving, and uh, we'll play. And but then it's back to fourteen. Me too. Well, take <laughs> us home, there. Solosi. You've uh, you've been playing another like really great recent release that everyone's been, I think, mostly raving about. Like it's it's been pretty solid. Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Uh, what are you playing it on? I am playing it on Switch, which seems like a mistake. Yeah, how does it how does it run? Uh, not great. Uh, <laughs> we should mention Bloodstained Ritual of the Night was started out as a Kickstarter in 2015, and now we're getting it almost exactly four years after that Kickstarter launched. So, and it was originally uh, uh, targeting a 2017 release. So people have been uh, clamoring for this for a while. It's uh, a 
game made by um, Koji Igarashi, formerly of Konami. Uh, Igarashi was the director or creator or co-director of a lot of the best Castlevania games. Um, he was an assistant director on Symphony of the Night, the, the first really popular Metroidvania uh, Castlevania game, and then worked on most of the of the handheld ones in the 2000s, which were... They had a pretty good run of those, like a, like a good seven or maybe only six really great handheld Castlevania games in the in the image of Symphony. So the, uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night plays a lot like those. It's a Castlevania in almost all but name. The main character, you know, has... Uh, there's a, there's a, a lot of stained glass motif in this game. The main character is cursed with something that allows her to absorb demon powers, but has, like... Cr- but also creates, like, makes part of her... Uh, some of her skin appear crystalline. So when you, uh... When you defeat some monsters, they sometimes shed crystal shards that she can... shards that she can take into her body, and it makes the stained glass on her body change. But, That's yeah, cool. but... but like she has like this sort of like things on her body become her powers kind of like Shinoa in Castlevania Order of Ecclesia she has uh, fighting game moves and a lot of weapons and a lot of spells kind of like uh, Alucard in Symphony of the Night and she uses demon powers and can then appropriate them for her own ends just like Soma in two of the uh, GBA and DS Castlevania games like so this is there's a lot of Castlevania ideas and concepts in Bloodstained sounds like a big love note for sure 100% is and they even brought back the original voice actor for Alucard in 1997 uh, to to, what? to 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 voice one character who's a who oh, oh you might like this Caitlin uh, uh he yeah. it's a vampire librarian <laughs> and uh, yes. and uh, you can check out books that give you bonuses but uh, there's an end game scenario where you face dire qu- consequences if you take a book outside of the castle that's Amazing. what that's what I should be because I don't like mornings <laughs> Well, I don't like, you know, I'm a, I'm a night person more than I'm a day person, so that's good. And I also get frustrated at my patrons, and sometimes if I had the power to suck blood, maybe I would. So yeah, uh, Vampire Librarian, that's only one of several different side uh, activities you can do in this game. Also, the the Vampire Librarian teaches you how to discover photography, and he helps you make, uh, <laughs> he helps you make a little passport or ID card that you need to use to get onto a ghost train. So, so th- th- this game is completely bon- has a lot of really bonkers <laughs> ideas in it. I mean, now I need to get it. Yeah, <laughs> but the uh, the action is really competent. The uh, the skills are really good. Um, I'm playing it on the Switch, so there's a more there's a lot of slowdown and worse loading times than you would find on the on the PC or PS4. But it it plays way better than any of the demos did. The environments and rooms and exploration is really cool. Our reviewer gave it, I think, a 79 or an 80, and felt a little disappointed by it. Uh, I believe it uh, Bob reviewed it. But I, I I take almost the opposite tack. Instead of instead of being like a derivative below average, um, Igarashi Castlevania, I think it's an above average or good one. Like my my score would probably be ten points higher than his. So if you had if you liked any of those two D Metro Metroidvania games from the late nineties early two thousands and are sort of thirsty for a new one, which a lot of people seem to be, then this is a very very good one of those. The, my my biggest complaint is that the name Jebel is not very intimidating for a main villain. That's mm. that's all I got. Is he a rodent? No, it's <laughs> uh, he is a he's like he's like the Richter from uh, he's like Richter from Symphony of the Night. He's the master of the castle, but there's something else going on there that you're not sure that uh that he's not exactly what he seems kind of deal. That's a uh, and again the the plot is a little predictable. Um, I'm 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 at the, almost the very end of the game, and there is a there is a secret. There's there's like a, a false bad ending and then some secrets you have to dance around to get to the to get to the better ending, 
and there's one or two plot twists involved in there, but I, I'm not going to compliment the plot of this game that much. It's it's about that Metrovania exploration and collecting skills and weapons, and there's a, a shockingly deep cooking system in this game. You There's a, a dozens of recipes to find, and whenever you eat a meal, and, and food is your best option for healing, but also whenever you eat a, a food item for the first time, it gives you a permanent stat bonus. So... So there's, I I have done I have done a lot of ingredient hunting and uh, and and cook and, and cooking for a game about demons and vampires. I was gonna say I can just think of like Ignis as a vampire, but like, I've come up with a new recipe. New is recipe. it blood, Ignis? Is it blood again? Yes, it's blood. And that's oh, all. And, and, also, and also, I, I, I mentioned they brought they brought back Robert Belgrade, who was the voice of Alucard in Symphony of the Night twenty years ago. They also have David Hayter playing a major voice role. Um, really? Yeah, he, I yeah. Oh, I've missed him. Um, I w- uh, It's not really a spoiler. He's the. Uh, he's the. Uh, he's a samurai-like swordsman named Zangetsu. Oh. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. Um. Damn it! Stop making me want to buy this th- game. Th- it's you know like I'm not gonna say it's my game of the year because uh, Shadowbringers and Devil May Cry Five both exist, but this. <laughs> but uh, it is. It is very much in the in the uh, image of these awesome Metrovania games from a decade plus ago, and feels like a very good, like above average one of those. And I, it's in the Metroid. Yeah, game. I have exactly. I have very few complaints. And I, I, but I, um, when I, because I was a giver to the Kickstarter, I had to sort of choose what version I got ahead of time. And uh, when the Switch came out, and I was extremely high and wanted on the Switch and wanted to play everything on the Switch, I changed my pre-order from PS4 to Switch, and I have regrets about that because the Switch version it has more slowdown and load times and is the worst version. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's to a hear, considering, but I guess it makes sense. I mean, hopefully we'll get that uh, Switch Pro. Yeah. The Switch didn't exist until two years after this game uh, um, began its its fundraising, so it's. <laughs> um, I, I think the Switch just had less development uh, less development time. And, uh, yeah, it's not optimized exactly. for it. And, and I think they canceled the 3DS and Vita versions of this to focus on developing for the Switch. So there was putting it on the Switch was uh, they did successfully do it, but it was it also was you know a contributor to the uh, to the sort of rough development history of this game. But I right. I, I, uh, I can't argue with the end result. This is a really great one of those, and it has vampire librarians and uh, oh, did I mention that there's a demon barber named Todd. Who uh, who was a human that was cursed to turn into a demon until he cre- until he uh, created 666 haircuts. <laughs> so does he live on Fleet Street? Um, no, uh, yes. I don't. I don't believe he does, and he's definitely not in the image of Johnny Depp. But uh, but you can change the main character's hairstyle if you um uh, if you visit him. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> now the question is, if he changes 500 hairstyles or whatever it is, does he get released and suddenly just you can't change anymore? You know, I don't know, but I think there are fewer than 666 <laughs> hairstyle items in the game, so you he pr- you probably can't release him from his curse. <laughs> ah, it's a shame. Unless, like, you know, whatever the options are are exactly the options that he needs to finish off. Hmm. Maybe he's been at it for a while. That'd be it'd be a really funny, like, weird side story thing yeah. to help him. But it's uh like, again the the gameplay variety is huge. There's at least a hundred special skills to equip, and there's and you can equip five at once. Uh, because they're, you know, they operate by different buttons and such. Uh, the most annoying thing about the game is that I, I got really stuck at one point because I didn't realize you had to, I had to get the crystal skill from a random regular enemy in the game to progress, and I was, you know, 
trying to search every nook and cranny on how to move forward. But it's like, no, you just have to farm this some jellyfish for a while. <laughs> oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah. There's uh, several games have been um, guilty of that and just not telling you, and you just have to hope you come across. And it, it did take me a while to figure out that I needed that I needed to, to um, invent photography and then give my picture to the demon to the vampire librarian. <laughs> This game is great. I am having a lot of fun with it. I'm probably at the 80% mark or so. I'm I'm I I had a big twist happen and I'm, I'm sort of the end game is in sight. So I will probably beat it this weekend. I'm not 100% sure on that. But uh yeah, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. I really like it and I sort of would rate it higher than the official RPG fan review did. Good stuff. Uh Kaylin, you haven't gotten it yet, but it's sounding more and more like you want to. I mean, uh, Mike is doing a better job of selling this game in the last, you know, few minutes than everything I've seen about it since I <laughs> learned it existed. So, so yeah. Well, Mike, I feel, is a good sales pitch person for a lot of things if he's passionate about it, because Mike's passion comes through in games really well, and his passion on any subject comes through. Like, so, like, you're so winning when you come through passionately about something that you just can't help but get sucked in and be like, I want this too. I want to feel like Mike. <laughs> I, I, it's true I can be a bit of a hype machine sometimes, but uh, it I don't know if I if I'm I, I only play stuff that I'm interested in, so maybe don't ask me to sell people on I don't know Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, time yeah, it's what you're passionate about, what you what you are into. I'll have to make the the real hype mon soon. Sure. Your new Twitter account. But real talk though, uh, I adore Symphony of the Night, Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the PlayStation. And Igarashi was an assistant, was a programmer on that game that was pro that was promoted to assistant director when a bunch of people quit. And then when he was in charge of Castlevania for several years in the 2000s, I played basically all of those and loved almost all of them. So I am a hundred percent in Bloodstained's uh, target demographic. Someone who misses that kind of game. Who, who liked a whole lot of them. So this, I had moderate expectations that were tempered somewhat by how long this game was in development after its Kickstarter, but all of my expectations have been met or exceeded, basically. I, I just wish I was playing it on PC or PS4 and not Switch. I was going to say, this is basically the opposite story of something like Mighty Number no. 9. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, this is... Yes, this is a uh, a crowdfunded model that had um, a built-in audience and high expectations, but instead of Mighty Number no. Nine, uh, which completely tanked, and instead of a game like FTL, which had no expectations and it ended up being a big success, this had expectations and met them, which is a little shocking for a uh, for a Kickstarter project. But I'm it's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. will say I am still one of those people that's a little. I also really enjoy the GBA and DS Castlevanias. I probably play them multiple times each and i am still a little bitter that we never got that 1999 julius belmont final <laughs> final war game <laughs> <laughs> yeah he he's a uh, uh, julius belmont is the uh, central character in aria of sorrow and dawn of sorrow two of the the best of those 2000s castlevania games but and and, and they hinted at a uh, at a prequel where uh, that involved him that we never got but I don't. I don't know. Uh, and also, there's a lot of content coming out for Bloodstained soon. There's there's a planned uh, uh, run of DLC to con- to continue supporting it. And I and I don't know everything about that. I'd have to do some more research and see exactly what we already know. But uh, as a Kickstarter backer, I'm probably going to be getting yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, could have been in the stretch goals. Yeah, or whatever. exactly. So th- I know there's a lot of that, but I don't know how much exactly is coming. But uh, and this is exactly the kind of game I wanted, and it is a B plus or A minus version of that. So. Uh, yes, I, I don't. I don't know how much more hype or salesmanship you want me to do, but I uh, this game comes recommended. 
Are you going to dive in on that one, Joe? No, I mean, I haven't played the game. I'm definitely in the target demographic. And after hearing this, I'm, you know, maybe more so interested than I was before because I was, you know, I was a little unsure, admittedly, you know, because of these kind of stories like I brought about Mighty Number no. 9, which was another thing I was really hyped up about because I'm a big Mega Man fan, um, which was obviously disappointing. But yeah. I'm glad to hear that this one turned out differently. So maybe I'll give it a shot. One thing also notable, um, the the price point is a little high. It's forty dollars, which again same as uh, the collection of mana that I thought was priced a little high at forty earlier this episode. But I I think it's justified. This is the kind of thing I this is this is what I wanted. And uh, there's also a a much cheaper ten dollar <laughs> retro game called uh, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. Which is like an 8-bit style Castlevania game in this world and characters that I think is a, a prequel to Bloodstained: Ritual of the Night. So, so the, the, if you if you like, you know, um, the NES yeah. style Castlevanias, that's that's worth checking out as well. I think. I mean, I don't know. This is just speaking for me. I think I, I agree. Like the forty dollars might might seem a little bit high, but I think given the circumstances of this game's development and like if you want to see more stuff like this, it, it's almost like maybe an. I always like to view it as like an investment in the future. Like these games aren't hitting a huge demographic. I feel like in the general population of gamers for that kind of like retro style, whether it's the Symphony of the Night style or obviously the 8-bit Castlevania style. So yeah, I mean, I'd be willing to check it out. <laughs> there's al- there's also an 8-bit hidden level in the game that is really challenging. I died so fast at when I found that. But it's this game. It it comes highly recommended. Uh, some of the boss battles are quite stunning. To, to behold I, I again i i don't want to oversell it but i'm really really enjoying this game and if i'm not distracted by final fantasy 14 i should finish it soon i don't know if you if there's anything you're going to leave final fantasy 14 for would this be it to want to wrap this up and see how it goes? uh it'll be either this or me getting back into legend of heroes when the next one of those comes out soon yes when is the next one happening september september 24th <laughs> and what uh which number are we have trails of cold steel three three ah yes that one it's uh, kind of a big deal. Because <laughs> oh, this yes. one has been out in Japan for ages, and it's finally been yeah, out here, right? Over, yes. over a year. Uh, and it's uh, maybe closer to two years. And the demo at E3 was extremely promising. Excellent. That sounds great. This is, that's what I've heard, too. So I'm super excited. So no shortage of good games, folks, that we've talked about today. And we've talked about a lot of good game stuff. Uh, to that end, I feel it's time to kind of wrap this discussion up for today, just because, I don't know, I feel like that's some good chats. How about you all? I'm satisfied. Yeah, I'm satisfied. So let's you want to go eat and play some games. So let's, uh, you know, let's let you go do that. So folks, you can find us for any more feedback you want to offer at RPGFan.com on Twitter. You can email the podcast specifically and give me something other than spam to sift through at podcast at RPGFan.com. Uh, I like hearing from it. We heard from folks past episodes. It's been a while. You've been quiet. Please let me know what you want to hear. Let me know what you want to talk about. Ask me questions. Ask Caitlin questions. Ask Mike questions. Ask Joe questions. He'll be back on. We'll get Joe on. He's got a good radio voice. So to that end, uh, if you want to hear more of our uh, podcast stuff going on in the podcast empire that uh, Mike Slosey has built for himself, Retro Encounter is a weekly show. There's always good uh, content on that one, whether it's a retro game, great discussion about concepts. It's There's always something super interesting to listen to that I'm sure will be in your video game wheelhouse. Uh, YouTube, we're slowly starting to build on that. Part of that is my own failing that I'm just really busy with everything else, and it's a lot to motivate a small team, but we are doing good at getting some of our own original content out. And then we, of course, have regular trailers and teaser content coming out as companies give that to us. So if you want to uh, find your source for RPG news in a video format, check out our YouTube page. 
Uh, aside from that, folks, thanks so much for listening. Caitlin, Mike, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show with me once again and going at length about your passion for all these games. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Mm, it's, a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure as always. You're all, you're all good people. I'm glad we have a lot of good people to work with here at this site. Uh, to that end, folks, once again, thank you. And we will see you. Uh, see you. And we will, you'll hear from us next time. Sure, that's a good way to end it. Right? All right. Bye.